0: Our first reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, 1 through 6, Judging Others. Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there was a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Continue with Galatians. Five, thirteen 13 to 15. To you, my brothers, we're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The word of the Lord.
1: saw the writing on the wall early on. Her name was Sarah. She was living in Germany in the late 1930s with her husband and two small children. What was already an incredibly bad situation for Jews living there was getting worse, and she wanted to get out of the country with her family to escape the Nazis. But how could she do it? There seemed to be no answers, but then a glimmer of hope word reached her family that there were some visas that Jews could get from an office in Berlin the next day. Her husband had to work, and so after finding someone to watch their children, and with strong resolve, Sarah boarded a train the next morning for the hour-long ride in the heat of summer, hopefully to get what she needed for her family. Without those visas, she simply did not know what she would do. When she arrived in Berlin, she took a cab to the address she had where the visas were said to be available. Inside the building, she found the right office, and when she entered, she saw dozens of other people in there, hot and cramped, waiting for the same salvation that she was hoping for. A lone German bureaucrat sat at a desk, seemingly oblivious to the mass of humanity around him. Hours and hours passed, and people suffered in silence. Sarah held on to the hope that she would leave the office with those few pieces of paper that would mean life for her family. Suddenly, everyone was snapped out of their heat-aided melancholy by the shrill voice of the bureaucrat yelling, No visas today! Come back tomorrow! The thought of going through that same ordeal the next day weighed heavily on everyone's mind, but considering their lack of options, they resolved to be back in the morning. For Sarah and for many others, it meant the unexpected challenge of finding lodging on such short notice, but with so much at stake, Sarah persevered to find a room for the night. When the sun came up the next morning, it brought with it the double-edged emotions of hope and fear. As Sarah once again walked into that crowded office, she no doubt tried to keep hopeful, despite not knowing how many visas would be available or if there would be enough for everyone. Again, hours and hours passed and people suffered in silence and the bland bureaucrat remained silent as well as he did his paperwork and ignored everyone around him. Late in the afternoon, the silence was broken by another loud pronouncement by the bureaucrat. His words brought instant heartbreak. There are no visas. Everyone must go home. After the shock of his words were absorbed, people responded by letting out their pent-up anger and emotion. Sharp words were voiced at the bureaucrat. No doubt that Sarah felt the weight of the world on her shoulders, and her fate and that of her family hung in the balance. And so now hot and tired, she had to make the long trip home with nothing to show for it. Sarah had every right to turn and face the bureaucrat, as all the others did, shouting at him and criticizing him. What she did, though, was quite different. She wound her way through the crowd and walked right up to where the bureaucrat was sitting. And she leaned over and kindly said to him, I want to thank you for all of your time. Have a good day. And then she slowly turned and walked out the door and down the hall with whatever strength she could muster. She was almost to the stairway when she heard the loud clacking of shoes running after her, and she turned and saw that it was the bureaucrat as he was holding pieces of paper in his hand. Here are the visas you came for. The bureaucrat in that office certainly showed no signs of friendliness that would attract a reciprocal, friendly greeting. But what he did have, unbeknownst to everyone there, was just a small handful of visas. In fact, it was because he had so few and there were so many people that he chose not to give any away at all. But Sarah chose not to criticize, despite having every right to, despite the fact that everyone else was, because she chose not to criticize, he handed her the visas that allowed Sarah and her family to get out of Europe safely. Her kind words literally saved her life and the lives of her family for generations. This is a true story. And I thought long and hard about opening with something this serious, this heavy, this real, but when I said last week that our words have power to offer life and that our words have power to bring death, I meant it because Scripture says it to be true. And this is such a great example of just how much our words matter, both the words that we speak over ourselves as well as the words that we say to other people. And so this morning, we are in week two of our series affectionately titled, Shut Your Mouth. This is the time of year where we tend to make promises and resolutions to change some of our habits, to lose weight and to save money and to organize our lives, but seldom do we actually address any of our internal habits, like the things that we say. And so last week, we opened the series by talking about complaining, Now, when I wrote last week's message, I mentioned that I opened with complaining because I think that complaining is the thing that comes most naturally to us. But then I sat down to write this week's message, and I thought, well, criticizing comes pretty easily to us as well, doesn't it? And while I could never and would never be able to pretend to put myself in the situation that Sarah was in as she tried to get visas to save her family... I am aware that we, myself very much included, have flown off the handle and spewed critical words at other people for far lesser things, haven't we? The crazy thing is we often see people getting attacked by critical words for things that are not even their fault. We see this often at places like the airport. There's a mechanical problem with the plane or the weather has grounded the flight, and inevitably, there is going to be somebody at the counter, screaming at the poor person behind the desk who has no control over the plane or the weather, yet is somehow getting screamed at about how incompetent she is. Sometimes our criticism isn't quite that dramatic. Sometimes we we couch our criticism in sarcasm because sarcasm is more widely accepted than is outright criticism. But sarcasm is a dangerous thing And I say that as someone who is very sarcastic. People generally feel as if they have to laugh when they are on the receiving end of sarcasm when really the comments that were made may have hurt them deeply. In fact, sarcasm comes from the Greek word sarcozine, which literally means to tear or strip the flesh off. Yeah. Those of us who tend to be sarcastic need to be so careful that we understand the difference between sarcasm and wit? One is funny. One can be intentionally or unintentionally hurtful. Sarcasm is really just hostility or criticism couched in humor. And those who wish to speak words of life need to check ourselves and our sarcastic tongues, she says to herself. There's a passage in the book of Galatians that Robert just read for us. We looked at it last week too, in case it sounded familiar to you. I'm going to read it again, because I think we're going to read it a whole bunch during this series. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. If you bite and devour each other, another way of saying that is if your words are constantly critical, if you are always cutting into other people, whether sarcastically or not, be careful of destroying one another. And maybe that seems like really strong language, destroying one another, but it's the truth behind the power of our words. We see it all the time with issues of bullying that results in students taking their own lives. In most cases, no one ever laid a hand on them. Yet by the sheer power of our words, we can make people feel as if they are worthless and if their life, as if their life is hopeless. And we don't even have to take it that far, and we would still be talking about destruction. And here's what I mean by that. Have you ever wondered, have you ever stopped to think about Whether or not your criticism of your kids is maybe what created the wall that exists between you and them. Or maybe that your critical words toward your spouse have destroyed some of the intimacy that you once had. Criticism destroys relationships. And it can also impact our ability to do what God has called us to do in sharing the good news. If you are known to have a sharp tongue, It is going to be very difficult for people to hear the compassion and love and comfort and life that Jesus wants to bring other people through you. Your critical tongue can destroy other people's ability to see Jesus in you. We see this all the time, all over the place in evangelical Christianity today. We have some Christian leaders today who have muddied the love of Jesus Christ because no one can hear them through their biting words. They are damaging the gospel the good news, and I'm sure that some of us have done the same, probably even unknowingly. Proverbs 12, 18, which we mentioned last week, also says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongues of the wise bring healing. It does not offer us an option in between, so our words either hurt or they heal. They can't do both. They usually do one or the other, so which is it for you? Are you someone whose words bring life, or are you someone whose words bring destruction? Well, I read that, and I think it's pretty easy to cut myself some slack when I put it like that. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say that my words are so awful that I have destroyed anybody lately, or that I have torn anybody down lately. Sure, I make sarcastic comments every now and again, and maybe I lost my temper with the person at the DMV, I didn't really lose my, I didn't really. But That's a good example of places we would be prone to lose our temper at people. But it's not like I destroyed anyone. These are the things that we say to ourselves to get us off the hook for the things that we say. So let me read another scripture that might help us put it another way to see if this gets through to us. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only that which is helpful or useful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Well, that, as the great Oz says, is a horse of a different color. Because while I don't think that I have destroyed anyone lately, I have definitely let unwholesome talk come from my mouth, And certainly everything that comes out of my mouth is not that which builds up other people according to their needs. Think about that verse for a moment. Not allowing any unwholesome talk to come from our mouths takes an awful lot of discipline. Think about how careful you would have to live your life for that to be true. In fact, I dare say that living life according to this particular biblical principle would actually require us to think before we speak. Shocking. Imagine how different the world would be if we all did that. Not allowing any unwholesome talk to come from our mouths takes an extraordinary amount of discipline. And yet that is not even the full extent of what this passage calls us to. We're only asked, we are asked to say only things that are helpful in building other people up. Can you imagine thinking that carefully about all of your words? That every single thing that comes out of your mouth would serve only to build someone up? Statistics show that the average man speaks 7,000 words a day. So for you men, of the 7,000 words that you spoke yesterday... How many of them were for the sole purpose of building someone else up, of encouraging someone, of bringing life and joy and hope and light to someone else? So men speak 7,000 words per day, and for women we average around 20,000 words per day. The thing is, I left that wide open for a joke, but you can't make any because we're only speaking words that build each other up. (laughs) I'm no dummy. (laughs) But for you women, if you spoke 20,000 words yesterday, how many of them were encouraging someone or building up the people, organizations, or families of which you are a part? Scripture shows us that God cares so much about what comes out of our mouths, and yet we continue to be so careless with our word choices. And even more than that, as the text for this morning, the first one that Robert read for us from Matthew as it says, we have this incredible tendency of spending our, em- our energy criticizing the speck in somebody else's eye when we have a plank or log sticking out of our own. I know it's a somewhat disgusting image, but it's true. We love to criticize other people on how they live their lives. If we tend to be a little messy, we love to criticize how boring and uptight neat freaks are. And if we like things neat and tidy, we tend to criticize how lazy and disgusting people keep their homes we love to criticize when people do basically anything differently than we do. We criticize our coworkers, how they do their jobs, our spouses, and how they do their chores, our kids, and how they generally engage in the world. We love to criticize how people speak. We love to criticize how people grieve. We love to criticize how people vote. We love to criticize how people drive. We really love to criticize how people parent. And we do all of these things with such ease as if we are the only ones in the world who have perfected the art of whatever it is that we are criticizing somebody else for. It's as if we have elected ourselves judge over whatever system or behavior we are criticizing we just sit there up on our throne determining whether or not everyone else is doing it right. And they never are. Right? That's what Jesus was pointing at at this, this passage in Matthew The Pharisees had all of these rules, and they had appointed themselves judge and jury over everyone else's behavior. They were oppressively judgmental, in fact. They'd condemn and criticize as a hobby. They censored what everybody did and said they were unmerciful and unforgiving and unkind to anyone who did not measure up to their standards, which was most people, But scripture, even from Jesus' own words, tells us that we are not, in fact, the judge or the jury of anyone. Judgment belongs to the Lord alone, which means that we should probably climb down from our self-made thrones and hang up the gavel that we love to beat against other people. There's a reason that Jesus used the phrase, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, because he knew it meant that every last person would have to drop the rock in their hands. There wasn't one person in that story left standing there who was without sin. There was no one left to throw stones at the woman they were trying to bring down in that passage. That wasn't a passage just for that situation. It's for all people and for all time. Now, let me briefly say that there is a time and a place for things like accountability. And as we talked about on Wednesday, constructive criticism and critical thinking, those things happen in the context of relationship and not self-appointed relationship. You need to be invited into a relationship of accountability with somebody else. And that is a good and right and biblical thing, to have relationships where you can call each other out on behavior that is not consistent with scripture. I'm not saying at all that because we are not to criticize other people that there is no place for biblical accountability. We need that. And I hope that everyone in this room has that kind of relationship with people in your lives. But if you have appointed yourself judge or critic of someone else's life without their invitation, that is what I'm talking about this morning. If your sister did not ask you for parenting advice, maybe just don't offer it. If your coworker wasn't looking for tips on how to do their job more effectively, maybe it's not yours to volunteer. If your neighbor's kids don't act the way that you raised your kids to act, best not to tell them unless you're invited to do so. And just as a general rule for humanity, if your plane is delayed by weather, for the love of all things holy, please don't take it out on the person standing behind the counter. Friends, we have a choice to make. Are we going to live our lives with our words that give life, or are we going to live our lives with words that take life? Which person do you want to be? Are you going to be somebody who allows your own insecurities to point out everything that is wrong about everyone else just to make yourself feel better? Are you going to spend your life focused in on other people's faults? Because you know who else does that? Satan. We talk a lot about the names of God, but did you know that Satan has a whole bunch of names as well? He's called the ruler of demons, a serpent, our adversary, the tempter, The wicked one. And you know what else he's called? The accuser. Because he loves to find all of our faults and point them out and make us feel badly for them. Because when we allow ourselves to stand accused, we forget that Christ has already accepted us and made us free. And there's nothing that Satan would love more than for us to forget that. And so if that is the tactic of the evil one, why are we using it on each other? It's not our place to accuse. It's not our job to be fault finders. And if we're really honest, half the time we spend criticizing, we don't even know what we're talking about. We don't know other people's stories or situations before we judge and criticize their choices. Last week I, said if you, I asked if you enjoy being in the company of a complainer. I think most of you said no. And so this week I'll ask you this. Have you ever met a critical person that you look at and thought, I want to be just like him? Probably not. Because critical people come across as mean-spirited and insecure. They act like bullies, when you're not, and then when you're not around them, you wonder what it is they're saying about you when you're not there. No one wants to be around a critical person. They cause damage and destruction and hurt everywhere they go, whether they mean to or not. But man, it is a game changer to be around somebody who intentionally speaks life into other people. Research shows that it takes seven positive comments or events for every one negative that we receive or experience. So for those of you here this morning who are struggling in your marriage a bit, if you had to add up the last 100 things you said to your spouse, what percentage of them were negative, hurtful, demeaning, sarcastic, or unhelpful? How many of those comments out of 100 were filled with encouragement and honor and respect and love? Where do your words fall on the seven to one ratio scale? And might that have anything to do with how you feel about your relationship these days? And obviously, that's true for all of our relationships, not just marriage. It's true of how you interact with your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your siblings, your coworkers, your friends. If you say ten things to your kid every day, and nine of them are about how messy he is or how terrible his grades are, and only one of them is to tell him how loving he is or that he's kind or generous, over time, stop and think about the messages that your kid is going to start telling himself. Little hint, it's not the positive ones. Our words matter. One negative thing, whether it was meant to be cruel or not, can destroy a life. And one positive comment can restore hope or heal or bring life. James 3 says the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Fresh water and salt water cannot flow from the same spring. So whether you think that you are a person of great influence or not, it doesn't matter. Your words literally and seriously have the power to change somebody's life today. Whether face-to-face or over the phone or through a text or behind the screens of social media, will you choose words that bring life Or will you choose words that bring death? We talk in this church a lot about all of the ways that we want to change the world. We talked about it some this morning. Well, let's start with our words. Because I assure you that it will go a long way in one direction or the other. Let's pray. God, church is more fun when we have warm, fuzzy things to talk about. It's easier when we get to talk about how loving and gracious and merciful you are. It's difficult when we hear words from your word that speak to our hearts in ways I know that many of us need to hear it. God, I know, myself included, that we are so careless with our words. And so God, I just pray that you would help us to be more intentional that you would help us to realize that everything that comes out of our mouth matters. And that whether we think we are a a person of great importance or somebody that nobody really pays any attention to, our words matter. And so God, while I would love to, to ask this morning that you would change our whole hearts, all of our hearts, everybody in this room, and I do ask that, I also ask God that just for this week you would help us to watch what we say that you would encourage us, Lord, to speak words that offer life, that you would, look, you would help us to look for people or you would bring people into our lives, into our path, that need words of life spoken over them, and then you would prompt us to speak them. God, wherever it is that we have spoken words that have destroyed or criticized or torn down, give us the strength and the courage to apologize. Help us to watch our mouths, Lord. Help us to know that we are each a reflection of who you are in this world and that sometimes we talk so much that people can't hear you. So God, this morning and in the week to come, may we be a living reflection of your love in all that we say. Amen. So for those of you, uh, I don't know how many of you that's true for, but for those of you who are anything like me, God help you, first of all. But if you're anything like me and you hear messages like that and you just like stink further and further and further, like you want to crawl under the pew by the time I'm done, I just want to remind you, because I felt that way too, even as I'm preaching to myself, like, oh, this is really heavy. I just want to remind you that the, the goal, the hope, the promise, the hope of this message series isn't that we walk away guilty. It's not that we walk away feeling like we need to go hide under a rock. I was sitting here praying just now, like, God, why did you give us this much power? Why did you give our words, our tongue, this much power when we do such awful things with it? Um, and I just was reminded, and I, and I want to remind you that he, I think he gave us that much power because he taught us what to do with it. We have the opportunity to speak words of life and words of the hope of Jesus Christ in the people's lives this week. And so I just pray that we would go and do that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.